Greetings in the name of Jesus, our soon returning King. Our Jesus in the Old Testament series is nearing the end, and we've arrived at the Minor Prophets. These are shorter books written by prophets anointed by God to foretell and foretell. That's right. The brevity of the writing does not take away from the significance of their messages, both to their contemporary listeners and to those who still have ears to hear the prophetic word of the Lord. Nathan and I are joined today by our good friend, Dr. David Bowen, who is the pastor of Standing Stones Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona, and he is also an avid student of Bible prophecy. As a matter of fact, he's written volumes on Bible prophecy, and we'll tell you more about that later. But now, David, we are delighted that you could be here with us today. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Well, Dr. Dave, so good, man. I won't reach across the table, but good <laughs> to have you here. Hey, you and I both have a passion for the Minor Prophets. I wrote a book on the Minor we Prophets because I found that their messages were so compelling. And so, let's get into Amos. Can you give us a little information about his background, how he became a minister? We know he ministered in 763 B.C. exactly because it gives an eclipse and yeah. an earthquake. So, one of the few Minor Prophets that give us a time. But can you just give us some background? Yeah, verse 1 of Amos tells us about who he is, what his name is, what his trade is, where he from. We get a lot of personal information, which we don't always get with prophets, but we do with Amos. So, we're told that he's a rancher, he's a farmer. We know that he's from a small little town about 10 miles south of Jerusalem, just down the below. Tekoa? Yeah, yes. Mm -hmm. So, we, we kind of get a feel for his, his background, where he's coming from, what he's like. I, I just see him as being kind of a good old boy a little bit, <laughs> you know. And he's from the south. What's unique about him is he's not a, a professional in, in the religious status. He's just a farmer, a rancher, but God uses him, but he sends him to the north. Okay. He goes to the northern tribes to bring a message. And it's not a pleasant message, message that he's bringing, but he's, that's where he's called to go. So, he's just a rancher, a farmer, a, kind of a shepherd, and just a common man, which makes it even more interesting for me because yeah. that's how you and I can relate to him. Exactly right. And the other thing that's interesting is because he's just a, a normal guy, he's not some high and lifted up person of, of status or power or Correct. prestige or necessarily prosperity, he is focused and the Lord calls him to focus on a, a call to righteousness and justice. That's correct. And, and his terminology, the way he speaks, he speaks in a very common language. And he uses a lot of word pictures to describe mm. things, which is a great tool of communication. But you can kind of see where he's at because he talks about the lions and the jackals, and he just—it's just—it's his life. It's what he goes out the front yard and he sees and he lives. He—he he, he uses that to express the message that God's given him to the people, especially in the northern tribes. Well, you have to explain to us what a fig pricker is, because that was his day <laughs> job, right? Other than taking care of these sheep and making this naked wool, he was a fig pricker. Yeah, what he was a—he was a rancher. He grew. He gets grew, crops. Okay. Yeah, okay. it's his crop and he was a farmer. You know, so it's a farmer, rancher, shepherd. He was, he was a jack of all trades. And he just got, again, you can see him being laid back and living there and just being obedient to God, so much so that God reaches down and says, I'm going to give you a vision. Actually, he gives him five visions. Mm. And what, what do you do with the visions? You know, when God speaks to you that way and you, and you love the Lord and you're obedient to the Lord, what do you do? You go where he tells you to go. So it was interesting, he didn't go to his hometown. He went to the northern tribes to bring this message. Particularly Bethel, right, which was their capital center for worship and 
idolish? Yeah, that's about 20 miles right? north of, of Jerusalem. That was the golden calves. That's where, mm. it, it, you go back to the prophets, you know, when you look at Jonah, uh, everybody says, well, Jonah, you know, the fish and the whale and everything else. But to me, Jonah was still a man of God because God called him, but yet imagine how he lived. Everything going around him, the lifestyle, the, the, the hate against God, the, the disobedience against God, and he had to live there and stay there. Everybody else who loved the Lord went down to Jerusalem. They said, we're out of here. Mm -hmm. But Jonah stayed. Yeah, he was disobedient, but he had to be a righteous man of God. So Bethel, Bethel um, Dan, those are the areas, the north and the south areas in, in Israel. Israel being the northern part, Judah being the southern part, where God says that we need to go get them straight. I think that uh, fig picker, or pricker as you said, has to do with almost like dates and figs sometimes getting the honey, the, yes. uh, the, the sweetness that would come out. And so by scratching, by creating a, uh, a, a prick within those fruits, you would get some of that honey. But I also think it's instructive that he did live amongst the people. He yeah. was not in some elevated place. Yeah. He was out among the people. Yes, he was sent to deliver a message, but being a normal, everyday kind of person, I think, is very powerful. I would also point out that Israel, even then, was quick to recognize the sinfulness of all the other nations. Oh, look yes. at them. They're all wicked. It's yes. kind of like seeing the plank in our neighbor's eye or the, the splinter in our neighbor's yes. eye and not recognizing our own shortcoming. And so Israel demonstrated that, but Amos was able to say, no, you too. I mean, he called out those neighboring nations, but he said also in Israel and Judah, you are straying from the Lord. And, and how often do we still do the same thing? Yes. And I, I know we both enjoy the minor prophets and what I really enjoy about it, it, it speaks to today. Because we can look back and say, well, what were they thinking? Why were they doing yeah, that? Yeah, you know, we can point the finger, but then we go, wait a minute, are we any different? No. Now, how do we live? And it says, you know, being a, being a farmer and being a rancher and, and picking figs, what kind of image do you get when God brings the vision of a locust? Mm. That's his life. He knows the damage a locust can do to his crops. And not what vision does God give him? And again, it's a combination of vision, vision and word pictures, which he has to bring to another uh, group, another community. It's interesting. He goes up to the north. He goes to the town of worship, which is pagan. They, mm -hmm. Bethel, Israel wanted to yep. worship away from Jerusalem, bring yep. the tourism to their cells, yep. so to speak. And then Amos lists every country that's around Israel, and he starts laying in on them. And the people are excited up in Israel that God's going to bring judgment. But then he gets to two countries that should really concern them. All of a sudden, he names Judah. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, okay, and Israel themselves. Why did God do this? Why did God get them all excited He was going to bring judgment against the enemies around them, but then target them? What was their sin? Well, that goes back to the very beginning. I mean, anybody who was Jewish, you know, all, all back to the time of Abraham, would say, I'm okay, I'm going to heaven because I'm Jewish. That's all I'm going to be is okay. Jewish. Okay. So if you're not a Jew, if you're a Gentile, then if you become a Jewish person, then you might have a chance to be with God. So it's been that we're separate, we're different than everybody else, and that's been the prophet's the Old Testament, when you look at it, most of the Old Testament is written because God was disciplining Israel. You know, it's funny, Jesus, uh, I think, was most offensive to His Jewish listeners yeah. when He called them out. Because when He uh, highlighted their sinfulness and said, look at the, the good Samaritan is actually a Samaritan. And it wasn't the, the Jewish officials and all the other muckety-mucks. It was this man from Samaria. And that was what galled those, those Jewish leaders. Yes. You know, the two key verses that we pulled out, the first two, are from Amos 5.6, Seek the Lord that you may live, and 5.24, which says, Let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. But I want to pull one other 
quote from this book that I think is, uh, is a conundrum for us even as Christians. In chapter 7, Amos describes this vision of a great locust worm you just mm -hmm. mentioned, mm -hmm. which would have been horrible to people who mm -hmm. were an agrarian society uh, relying on agricultural and productivity that way. And then twice, Amos describes the Lord's answer to his prayer as having relented of judgment for a season. But he says it in a very challenging way. What does Amos say that kind of presents us with a challenge? Well, I think what Amos does is he kind of copies what Abraham did, what Moses did. He interceded for the people. Yes. So when he interceded, because you say, okay, did God change his mind? Well, was, that's what he says. Yeah. The Lord changed his mind. Well, what did, what did God do then? What did he allow Amos to do? And again, it's a lesson for us. We need to be praying for our nation. We need to be praying for our people and just not just ourselves and what we need. Because when Amos went before the Lord and prayed, he said, you know, have mercy. That whole section to me is about God's grace, not so much about the sin of the people. The sin of the people is pretty obvious. When you're putting golden calves and, and doing everything in worship and be disobedient to God, to have a man of God come up and, and rebuke you on that, but then to pray for you is, is a wonderful message. I think it is a Christophany picture because yeah. none other than Jesus Christ demonstrates that He offers grace Absolutely. and it was the plan of God. I think the wording here can be confusing if we think, well, did God really change His mind? Because it says in other places, God never changes His mind, but God had a plan. He wanted to engage Amos in this plan, and when he interceded for his people, the Lord relented for a season of the judgment that he had pronounced, yes. but it was always part of his plan. And that was a, of the five visions, he relented with two of them, right? Yes. He still went yes. through with the other three, so what was the punishment? But, but look how, look how impactful God was when he, when he spoke about this. In, in chapter 5 you said, he goes up and God says, I don't want anything to do with your assemblies. I don't want anything to do with your festivals. I don't want anything to do but your music and your prayers. I don't want to hear yes. them. Could you imagine walking into a church today, <laughs> an evangelical Christian church, and having God saying, I, your, your assemblies, they rebuke, they're, they're terrible. You know, your, your music, I don't want to hear your music. I don't want to hear your prayers. I don't want to hear your worship. Mm. I, don't want to, I don't want to see your festivals and your gatherings. What would an evangelical Christian church today feel if, if a prophet walked in or if someone came in and said, I'm speaking on God's behalf because you guys are just missing it. It's all about you. It's about greed and materialism, the American way. Yeah. And where's the church go? So I think when, when he, God relented, he did to a certain point because there's got to be redemption. Mm. You know, there's there's going to be a remnant. There's got to be redemption. There's got to be a picture of hope in there. So we can bring, bring rebuke. If you're going to rebuke somebody, the purpose of that is to restore them. Well, yeah. before we get to the hope, there's one more word of almost despair that Amos shares with the people. He talks about famine caused by the locusts, but there's another famine that he wants. Oh, my of. goodness. My goodness. That's the worst famine of all. Yeah, which is? Is the Word of God. The famine for the hearing of the Word of God. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can take, the gospel. You can, yeah, you can take anything away from me. Just, just don't take away And yet God's how many word. people today, Dave, live, practically speaking, with a self-imposed famine? They don't study. They don't meditate. They don't go to the Word of God on a regular basis. And so they're, they're anorexic because they will not take and eat what has been given to them. Oh, but if I had more time, I would definitely do that. <laughs> if I had more time, when I retire, yeah. when I do this, I'll do that. I'll be serving more in the church. Yeah. I'll be praying more. I'll be studying. It doesn't change. People haven't changed. No. And I think the word that Amos was told to, to bring to the people in the north is the same word that we need to hear in America today. Mm. Right. I mean, a lot of the sins that he listed for Israel were what we call social justice yes. today. They were sins of oppression of the poor, of the rich 
getting richer, so to speak, as we'd say today. But yes. basically it was, was the people were treating the gospel as if it was garbage. They were treating God as if, well, you're right, we're Jewish. Yeah. He, can, he can't harm us, basically. And I think as a church we're like that. We think that the church is going to go on and on forever and ever. There's a point where God will hold us accountable if we're not true to the gospel and the Word of God and presenting it as He gave us in the Great Commission. Right? And our role is what do we do in this? Do we turn the other eye? Do we say good job? You know, what do we do? I always have two statements that I make. Um, my, my kids have been raised with this one statement. It's always God first. In our house, it's God first. Amen. So if we're going to go do something, if we've got to do a chore at the church or go out for dinner, what do you do? We, we do the chore at the church, we get the work done, and then we go enjoy ourselves. So it's God first. Mm. And, and especially with teenagers these days, talking to younger people, I ask one question. They're going to do something, they're going to think something, you know, and, and I don't need to rebuke them or take them to God's Word. I ask one question. Does that honor God? Mm. Wow. And when That's I ask good. that question, Powerful. I usually get... Uh-huh. Yeah. Just the head goes down. They don't answer. I don't push it. But I know I hit the home, uh, home run with them because they know what they're thinking, what they want, what they're going to do is not honoring God. I'll follow up with, then you're not getting God's best. You know, God's blessing is there and you're missing out on God's blessing just because what you're doing, what you're thinking, what you want to do does not honor God. That's the minor prophets. That's the message. That is brought. the minor prophets. And yeah. thankfully, at the end of his, uh, of his prophecy here, Amos shares a vision of the restoration of Israel and what a glorious vision it is. We can almost see it being fulfilled before our very eyes just in these last few generations. Things that Christians throughout the last 2,000 years thought, can it ever be that Israel will come back around? They certainly have. And in the final verse of the book it says, God speaking, I will also plant them, the Jewish people, on their land, and they will not again be rooted out from their land which I have given them, says the Lord your God. God is true to every promise, which is why we as Christians, we as Gentile believers in the Lord God Almighty can know that all the promises He made to us will also be yes and amen. They will come to pass. Amen. The promises that God made in Genesis, going back to Genesis, that what was going to happen with Israel will be fulfilled. And, and, and being a, a student of, of Bible prophecy, you know when you mention the, the word Israel, people kind of want to get upset about that. And, and a lot of doctrine, even teachings in, in seminaries and schools, a lot of doctrine that we believe that we hold dear to comes out of the Reformation period. Mm-hmm. While in the Reformation period, in the 1500s, Israel didn't exist. There was no history. They couldn't imagine it coming together. You look at John Calvin, Martin Luther. They couldn't imagine Israel being a nation again. So when the prophets spoke about that, that wasn't part of our doctrine, part of our teaching. And a lot of that's embraced in church today for those, those students. They don't bring Israel back up. But you go back to Genesis, God made promises and yes, they will did. be fulfilled. And that's the restoration period that we have. Well, we're going to take a brief break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about one of the shortest books in all of Scripture with a very powerful message. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Christ and Prophecy. We're here with the other Dr. Dave, Dr. Dave Bowen. Well, Dave, we're going to dive into the minor prophet Obadiah. Can you tell us what Obadiah's claim to fame is? Oh, it's the smallest book in the Old Testament, just 21 verses. You know, I got to tell you a story about that because obviously 2nd and 3rd John are shorter in the New Testament, but Obadiah is sometimes on a single page in our Bible. And there was a fellow named Grady Nutt. Many of our viewers will remember him if they ever watched Hee Haw. He was known as a Christian humorist. And he said when he was a child growing up in his father's Baptist Church in rural Texas, he said they liked to have uh, Bible quizzes where they would find a particular verse in the Bible. And he and his brother liked to sneak in and fold over Obadiah. And then the old folks would be looking and looking and looking. They could never find Obadiah. And uh, they lost it because it's only a single page. 
but yet it has so much impact. So what are the, some of the things that jump out to us even today from the impact Obadiah has? Short but stout. Oh my goodness, it is. Uh, he comes out and he names names. When you, when you name names like that, and then you said, this is what's going to happen to these people, and you look at where the world is today and what those names represent today, it's an amazing book. Again, the prophets, an Old Testament prophet would do one of two things. He would speak to his people, but he would also speak about the future. That's what, that's what prophecy really was. Mm -hmm. it was. It's going to be for you now, you can get something from this word, but also people in the future will be able to get something from this too. Meaning that you and I can look at this, and this speaks to us as much as it did to people 2,800 years so ago. So what does it have to say to us? Oh, it looks about, when you look at Obadiah, you talk about what's going to happen in the future. Now, it is twofold. We have to say it is twofold. First of all, he starts out talking about Edom and what's going to happen, the judgment of Edom. Okay, and just to refresh, yeah. Yeah. who are the Edomites? What, what is that nation all about? Well, that's an interesting question because who are they? They're the descendants of, of, of Esau, Esau, who was the brother of Jacob. Right, but what happened to them? See, people look at this and say, well, they don't, they don't exist anymore, so this must not be anything about modern day. This must not be anything. But when you go back, when you look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, and you turn that one page, that's 400 years. And in that 400 years, that's the, that, that's the Maccabean period. Well, in that time, the Edomites, most of them had to, had to become Jewish. Most of them actually had to transition to become Jewish because of what was happening with the wars and the battles that happening in the land. The Maccabees forced them into it, didn't they? They did. They did. Yeah. King Herod, who couldn't be forced into it, was really one of the last of the Edomites. And okay. you see what he did with Jesus and trying to stop the Jewish And Messiah. Herod, of course, by that time was not referred to as an Edomite. He was called... Uh, Idumenian or yeah. yes. instead of an E with an I, correct. Exactly. And weren't they wiped out when the Romans destroyed uh, the temple in 70 AD? That Edumia just was vanished, right? Yeah. Which goes back to the prophecy of Jacob and Esau. Okay. Because even going back to the very beginning, what did God say? That the, the older would serve the younger, that the younger would be the one that would be the one that would be blessed. So why were they cursed even in a place like or, or prophecy like Obadiah? What was the uh, God's anger? against the Edomites. What were they doing that was transgressing what his plan for the Jewish people was? Well, well, the template set with Esau against Jacob just continued on because the Edomites as a people, as a nation, went against Israel as a nation. When Israel was in distress, they rejoiced over it. Mm. When Israel was down and out, they, they added to that. They could loot, go over and, and, and take things away from Israel. They did. When Israel was traveling and, and needed to go through some territory down by Petra, and they needed to get through just a little area of, of, area of, of land, they said no. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I love the fact you mentioned Petra. A lot of our viewers will like to hear about Petra, and that is in the area where the Edomites yes. lived. So this anger, this, this grudge, if you will, went all the way back to Esau, and yet we know Jacob, when he was returning and going to encounter Esau, was a little bit worried that Esau would yes. uh, react and be very violent, and it seemed that their relationship was healed for a time. And yet this grudge lingered on for years and years, generations, because the Edomites felt they had been deprived of their own birthright, having been technically the firstborn. But even when, they was, when there was restoration there, when, when Jacob thought Esau was going to kill him, or who knew what he was going to do after all these years, they, they embraced, there was a restoration there, and then Esau said, I'm going to go back over here, why don't you come with me? 
And Jacob said, okay, but I'm going to stay behind and get, make sure my, everybody is okay and healthy and can travel, and I'll meet you there. He had no intentions of going that direction. Because I always wondered that, because it yeah. seemed like they reconciled, but then their descendants became bitter enemies. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's interesting that uh, the Edomites went, moved up into the mountains and the yes. clefts of the rocks. Matter of fact, Edom is accused of being a soaring with the eagles. Yes. Uh, if anyone wants to know who the Edomites were, they have to just watch Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, <laughs> right? Because Petra was an Edomite fortress at the time. But so that hostility remained throughout the generations. Then. Oh, it did. Okay. Uh, again, when Jacob said, "Yeah, I'll go there. I'll meet you there," so Esau goes, but he never, he never had any intention of going there because it would have been going against God. And what Esau did—I mean, the woman he married, how he lived his life—he was always against God. He so, was, and we can tell that Esau. Uh, despised his own birthright because he sold it for a bowl of porridge, a bowl of soup. And so, you know, how much value did he place even on his own birthright? But did he really even have the well, birthright? We can argue that because obviously God said the older will serve the younger. So yes. the Lord already had a plan. Yes. It was already in his design. But Esau did manifest by his own choice just a callousness toward what would have been his claim. You know, I think there's a great lesson to us, even for modern application. The Lord held the Edomites responsible because they were callous toward the Jews. They resented them. They said, aha, you can go back to Ezekiel. And over and over again, the Lord held other nations accountable because they said, aha, because they clapped their hands and stamped their feet regarding Ammon and rejoiced with scorn over the land of Israel. And because Moab and Seir said, see, behold, Israel and Judah is like all the other nations. On and on, Edom, Philistines, Tyre, any of them that said, aha, and rejoiced when Israel was being disciplined, the Lord said, ah, you do not have a right heart attitude right. toward my chosen people. How right. many nations today would he say the same thing? You do not have a right attitude you're resentful of and despising of my chosen people. We're living in one. We're living in one. Yes, sir, brother, we are. We're living in one. And how many pastors, how many churches would, would say, stop, we need to really look at what Israel is, who they are, what they need. Uh, Psalm 122, verse 6 says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. And then with that command, God gives a blessing. If you do this, if you're obedient to this, there'll be peace and security in your house. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants peace and security in their house. So how do you get that? You pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Yes. The truth is, Jerusalem won't have the kind of Amen. peace until the Lord Jesus returns. Yes. So really we're praying for the return of Christ. Yes, we Amen, are. Amen, brother. Uh, concerning the Edom's, what God's punishment was Edom, that they would be destroyed. And we can look and say 553, B.C., the Assyrians destroyed them, and then again later the Romans in 70 A.D., and we didn't hear about them again. But there are prophecies like Psalm 83 and all which say that that the, at least the lands of Edom will be punished by God in the end times. How do you interpret that? Well, every nation, that's how God judges every nation. Again, how do you treat Israel? Uh, Egypt, at one point, actually came alongside and helped Israel. They went against Israel many times, but so God didn't completely wipe them out like He did other nations. They didn't have the world power that they kept at one point, but they, they still existed because they did have favor towards Israel for a brief period of time. So you think the Jordanians then might be, because they're the ones who have the land of Edom, Ammon and Moab right now, right? right. So there's a lot of judgments against them. Say the Psalm 83 war happens, Israel will then defeat the nations that surround it, including Jordan. Is that a prophecy against Edom, or is that just a prophecy against a neighbor? Well, this is one of the, the joys I have of Obadiah. Okay. Um, 
I, I, I saw you get excited about that in the beginning, and I just wanted well, to have I think, an opportunity. I think if you fold the page over, I'm still going to find him because it's so exciting. <laughs> there you go, okay. exactly. You know, when you look at Obadiah, I mean, he, again, he mentions names. It's twofold. The first part is Edom and, and what's going to happen there. And then the second part, verse 15, is key. It, it okay. is a key. Verse it is a key verse key. for us. Yeah. So what does it say? Well, it says, in the day of the Lord. And when you have that terminology, whether it be Joel or Zechariah, any of the prophets who say, in the day of the Lord, what are they talking about? So it's a shift from Old yeah. Testament. They're talking yes. about the coming of the Lord. So it's still it's times. still in the future. Yes. Okay. So if this is from verse 15 on all the way to 21, it's still in the future. Then you look at the names that he's he's mentioning, and you do bring in Psalm 83. I, I know when people look at wars, they want to go to Gog and Magog, but I think Psalm 83 happens first. But you look at these nations. When God gave Israel the land, they only got about 30 percent of what God gave them. Mm -hmm. There's so much land yet to be taken. Jordan yeah. is supposed to be Israel's land. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, all the way almost to yeah, all the way to to um, the Euphrates, Euphrates. River, right? exactly exactly but when you look at this what's it say with the land the land the Philistines will be occupied the fields of Samaria will be will be possessed I mean they're going to own it it's going to be ownership of them they're going to take control of it um, the house of Jacob is is the Jewish people the house of Esau are the Arabs you know so when you look at how today modern day the Edomites were, were again they either became converted to Judaism or they were wiped out but what about today who lives in those lands today so when you look at the Arabs living mostly in the lands mentioned here, what's going to happen to Hamas? What's going to happen to Hezbollah? They, they will be destroyed. I agree with yeah. you. And not to spiritualize, I think there is a spiritual application. All who come against Israel will be opposed. That verse that you just mentioned says, For the day of the Lord draws near on all the nations. Yes. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your dealings will return on your own head. What dealings is he talking about? Their interaction with Israel with yes. His chosen people. And that's all the nations. People say, well, that doesn't include the United States, does it? Oh, all yes. means all. all. And yes. so, all of us as nations who have been opposed to Israel or who have even said, aha, when it feels like, oh, they're getting their comeuppance, we will be judged for that faithlessness to that those whom God has said, you should bless the descendants of Abraham. The United Nations is located in New York. In America, how many resolutions has the United Nations passed against Israel? Exactly. Other things have happened in other countries that you think they should slap their hands on them, and they don't. Israel does nothing, and they get resolutions against them. God sees that. You've got to look at this through the eyes of God, through His perspective, not through man's. Because you look at the, the territory, I mean, Gaza. They're going to they're possess Gaza. They're going to occupy Gaza. A again, this is all West Bank territory. Uh, Father Abraham, he, he built three altars. And, and the places we built the altars and worship God, where are they now? They're all West They're Bank. They're all in West Bank. They are trying to take away the history of Israel. The world is. And, and when God looks at that, He says, you will pay a price for that. I also love the fact that Obadiah, dealing with peoples in that day and age, having a message that is applicable to the whole world, still has a Messianic uh, reference. In verse 21, he says, the deliverers will send to Mount Zion, to judge the mountain of Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. Yes. Mm -hmm. The Lord is coming to reign Absolutely. even over His land. Amen. Well, David, I tell you what, we were excited to get you here, excited to get your insights. There's much more we could dig in. You have some materials available online. Tell us where we can find some of the materials you have made available for yeah. all of your study guides. We have a ministry called Interpreting the Times. That's all one word if you want to go online with that. And we have a book on Revelation. To me, the book of Revelation is an amazing book. But people say 
it's too hard to understand or it's too scary. Well, you've got to understand the Old Testament mm -hmm. because I can't wait for the Jews to read the book of Revelation because it's going to open up the, yes. the Old Testament to them. So I have a book on that that really takes people through that. And then I have a book called The Color-Coded Gospels. When you look at the four Gospels, which stories are told which, so they're color-coded to kind of help you with that. And then we got some videos too. Well, but Interpreting at Times is the website. Well, I hope you all will go to that website, David. Again, thank you, brother, thank for you. being here. We'll have you back again if you'll come. I'll be blessed to be here. We'll have you. Well, if like us, you are thrilled to hear God's prophetic word proclaimed, we've invited you to join us as a prophecy partner. For only $25 a month, you can be ensured that the message that Jesus is coming soon will be proclaimed far and wide. We'll keep bringing you programming and content on all of our platforms that point people to Jesus Christ, even as we dive deep into the biblical prophecies that are being fulfilled right before our eyes. Prayerfully consider supporting the outreach of Lamb & Lion Ministries. As a partner, you'll receive regular reports and special gifts from us and you'll make an eternal impact. Just visit our website or call the number on the screen. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Until next week, I'm Tim Moore. And I'm Nathan Jones saying, look up and be watchful for our Lord who is coming again to rain down justice like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream is drawing near. Get the answers to today's hard political questions from what the Bible prophesied so long ago. Join Lamb and Lion Ministries at the Convergence Bible Prophecy Conference this October 8th and 9th at Emmanuel Bible Church in Three Springs, Pennsylvania. Lamb and Lion Ministries evangelists Tim Moore and Nathan Jones are joined by Mondo Gonzalez of Prophecy Watchers, Al Gist, and Pastor Steve Heaster. Seating is limited, so register right now on our website at lamblion.com.